Hello, this is your fertility pharmacist. This podcast is for women who are trying to overcome infertility. If you keep a pulse on late-breaking fertility research, it could positively alter the course of your fertility journey like it has for me. I'm very excited to share today's study with you. Just published on the 4th of July in the medical journal Fertility and Sterility, the title of this study pretty clearly reveals what it's all about. The title is Adult Offspring of Lesbian Parents. How do they relate to their sperm donors? Before going forward with this groundbreaking study, let's go back a bit in history to understand its context. Here's a brief relevant timeline. In the 1970s, the sperm bank industry really took off, and it was geared primarily towards heterosexual couples using closed identity sperm donation. Also in the 1970s, American divorce courts were seeing an increase of cases of lesbian women trying to retain custody of their children conceived in heterosexual marriages. At the time, many judges worried that it would not be good for the mental health of a child to be raised by a lesbian. In the early 1980s, the Sperm Bank of California became the first to be open to providing sperm to all women, regardless of sexual orientation. That same sperm bank also created the option to have an open identity sperm donation where the child could learn the identity of the sperm donor after reaching adulthood, instead of having to permanently conceal the identity of the sperm donor or to have the donation be open from the get-go. Other sperm banks started to follow the trends set by the Sperm Bank of California. By 1986, enough lesbian women were starting families that the U.S. started a long-term prospective study to look at the mental health within these lesbian families. The study is still going on, and since 1986, 92% of the families who volunteered for it have stuck with it. They've been interviewed in six separate periods of their lives. The first five periods of the study had involved interviews with the lesbian mothers as their children were growing up. The results from these interviews indicated that these children were as well-adjusted and sometimes better-adjusted than children with heterosexual parents. Moving back to the present day, those children of lesbian parents have grown up. They were recently interviewed on their own without the input of their moms. This was the sixth interview period, and the results from this sixth interview are the inspiration for today's episode. When those children, now adults, turned 25 years old, the ongoing study contacted them by email. They were requested to complete an online survey that would protect their personal identities. A large number of 25-year-olds consented to this survey, 76 of the 78 they contacted, possibly because they were offered a $60 gift card to participate. Demographically, there was almost a 50-50 split on the males and females who responded. The vast majority of respondents were white, only seven responded as people of color. Unfortunately, the disparity in the racial demographic isn't surprising, as homosexual persons of color often face even more hurdles to accessing fertility care. Beyond that, 80% of respondents identified as heterosexual, and 88% had a college degree. Regarding their relationships with the sperm donors, nearly 30% of the respondents had known the identity of their sperm donor since childhood and almost half of them considered the donor as their father. In contrast, 40% of respondents had never known the identity of their sperm donor, and the overwhelming majority of them, 73%, felt neutral or comfortable with not knowing their sperm donor's identity. The reason why the respondents felt generally positive towards completely opposite donor scenarios, according to the study authors, 
is because the mothers had solid conversations with them as children about the donor past they had chosen. So as 25-year-old adults, they retained and felt positively about those birth origin conversations. 30% of respondents came from open identity sperm donation, which meant that they hadn't known the identity of the sperm donor growing up, but they were allowed to learn his identity at age 18. Once the donor's identity was known, just one in three respondents met up with the donor, and even fewer, just one in five, had a continuing relationship with the donor. None of the men met through the open identity sperm donation were considered as father figures. Now, all of the results I just mentioned came from ticking boxes. In the survey, there was also an opportunity for respondents to provide open-ended comments. Through these anonymized comment boxes, 20% of those who knew the identity of the sperm donor felt that they wanted a closer relationship with him. In contrast, another 20% wrote they felt uncomfortable with their relationship to the sperm donor, and they wrote in reasons like mismatched expectations, unreciprocated feelings, and disagreements on life choices. Based on the results of the open-ended comments, the authors were wise and avoided making sweeping conclusions. Given that the original intent of this long-term study was to better understand the mental health needs of children from lesbian parents, the authors stated that the mixture of responses indicated that each child or adult seeking mental health should be approached as an individual, which, in my opinion, should be a principle applied to any person seeking mental health. Regarding the question of donor anonymity, it's quite possible that remaining a permanently anonymous donor will cease being an option in the United States. Worldwide, there's been a growing sentiment that a person has a right to know their genetic origins. Several EU countries and New Zealand have legislation that favors open identity sperm donation. And the American Society for Reproductive Medicine has officially stated that disclosure to offspring about the fact of donor conception may serve the offspring's best interests. In addition to having ethical support, the technology to disclose donors is also readily available. DNA testing kits make finding genetic relatives easy and affordable. Thus, a key takeaway from all of this for young and expectant lesbian mothers is that initiating early and clear communication with children is the most likely method to ensure that everyone in the family feels comfortable with its origins. That concludes today's study. Since this survey was a snapshot as part of this long ongoing study, it'll be interesting to see how the 25-year-olds respond at the time of the next interview. Also, hopefully the next study asks about genetic half-siblings that arose from sperm donation, and it'd be nice to know if there are relationships with them. Last but not least, it would be great to have a larger study with greater diversity. That concludes today's episode. For show notes, as well as a place to send me questions or comments, please head to www.yourfertilitypharmacist.com. This is Your Fertility Pharmacist. Thanks for tuning in.